When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Sixers come to town for game one Monday night, but what's up with Joel Embiid? Is he playing? Is this some Doc Rivers gamesmanship? Dan Greenberg of Barstool Sports joins us to preview round two Sixers Celtics next on First to the Floor. Who's going to be first to the floor? Welcome into another episode of First to the Floor. Ben Vallis here. Thank you for joining us. Hope you're doing well. Spoonie and Jake are on the call, but as I mentioned, we have a very special guest joining us to preview the Sixers series. It's Dan Greenberg of Bastel Sports. Greeny, welcome back, How man. How you doing? What's happening? How are we feeling? Feeling nervous. Good. <laughs> nervous excitement is where I think we left off the last podcast, and I think that is the, the permeating and ongoing emotion across the First of the Floor team. Uh, how are you feeling going into this Sixers series? Yeah, I was going to ask you because, you know, a lot of the things that we talked about ahead of the Hawks, a lot of the things that we were worried about weren't really an issue, but things mm-hmm. that we didn't even talk about actually proved to be areas of concern. So now it's like, do I even know the team that I watch <laughs> hundreds of times a year? Because I don't think anyone was surprised that there were some hiccups along the way, but I think it was surprising the way that they happened. Um, I don't know, were you guys totally sort of thrown for a loop or discouraged that it went six? Were you just happy that they won? Where were you at? You 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 nailed it on the pod last time where you were like, one game at a time, taking nothing for granted. Because like once you get into the playoffs, it, you just have to throw everything out, it feels like at times. And I think like, game five was obviously terrible and sad but it was like the feelings <laughs> of anxiety were just significantly compounded by what was happening with the bucks and the heat like personally yeah. my ang- like it was just, i was a mess once the Celtics <laughs> lost game 5 and then the heat also won game 5 i was I, all i could do was i was just projecting myself and so but then they then they you know buckled down and got it done in game 6 but it was not nearly as smooth sailing as it thought previous to the series and after game 2 I, you know, I'm kind of encouraged and that may be insane uh, <laughs> since we went six, but the Hawks shot the lights out those like last three or four games. And even though they did, like they were making everything like some of these shots, dude, I put like a few clips together where it was just absolutely absurd shot making from everybody. John Collins shot 27% from three this whole season. And then he went like eight of 15 in games yeah. five and six, but 
I think offensively, like the offensive approach, right? Everyone was knocking Joe for us shooting too many threes. Well, I'm pretty sure we're averaging the least number of threes in the playoffs and we're leading the playoffs in points in the paint. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's a good sign that like we're so versatile that we can just mold ourselves to attack the other team's weaknesses. And Philly's got a lot of them. So I'm encouraged. I'm going ha- glass half full, fellas, even though I'm very nervous. <laughs> Are there any takeaways from that round one, Greeny, that you uh, that sort of alters your perspective of the Celtics postseason going forward? Well, it's just interesting, right? Because before this Hawks series, we were all saying the same thing. Number one issue was turnovers. That was our biggest fear. That's how we know the Celtics have given themselves trouble. Well, they didn't really have those outrageous 18. I mean, I think there was maybe one game where they were at 16 total, but like, For the most part, I didn't get the sense that they were careless with the ball consistently over 48 minutes. Obviously, the ending of game five was, but we all remember the Heat series. We all remember the the finals. It was like every other possession, they couldn't dribble the ball. Uh In that instance, I feel good. What (laughs) makes me nervous heading into a Sixers series is this team did not defend the three-point line to the level that I fully expected them to do. And maybe that was them trying to dare the Hawks to beat them. And you got to credit John Collins for hitting threes, DeAndre Hunter for hitting threes. But if you leave the Sixers open, this is not a team that struggled during the year shooting the ball. The Sixers were as good as you, if not better, as a team collectively from behind the arc. So if it beats out there and you're doubling, I mean, they've shown that they can op- you know, knock down, catch and shoot, open threes. P.J. Mm-hmm. Tucker just beat you by hitting open corner threes in the last meeting. So while I'm not concerned that they're going to go into the Sixers and now turn it over, I am concerned that they're not going to be able to defend the three-point line because if Embiid's not there, the only way you, co- you, know, you make up for that is you overcompensate shooting threes. And I just think you're asking for trouble if you're just baiting the Sixers into open threes. Yeah, well, let's get into that big news item uh, regarding Joel Embiid. So there's been a number of Joel Embiid injury updates that have come out uh, over the last 48 hours, and I've been um, digesting them all with a lot of curiosity. So uh, the big one is Shams tweeting out the knee injury that Sixers star Joel Embiid suffered in April 20 is considered to be more serious than a grade one LCL sprain. Now, the timeline for a grade one sprain is, is one to two weeks. The timeline for return on a grade two sprain is four to six weeks. It's currently doubtful for game one. Then we've got some quotes from Doc Rivers. He says, I'll say this. If I was a betting man, I would probably say doubtful for at least game one, but we'll see. And he continues to say with regards to his current practice status, quote, nothing yet, just wasn't able to. Uh, and obviously we were hopeful for today, but he didn't get on the court. And then more recently today, John Clark of NBC Sports Philly uh, tweeted out that Joel Embiid is listed as doubtful for game one tomorrow night, but he's smiling in the team huddle before leaving for Boston, um, whatever that means. Yeah. What, do, what, do you, what do you think, Greeny? Like, is, is Joel Embiid going to see the court in the first couple of games? I mean, do we know what was his, was it an MCL sprain like two or three years ago that he played on? What was that? That was injury? a torn meniscus. That was a meniscus okay. thing. That was yeah, kind of like Curry. Rob- Curry had the MCL. Sorry, yeah. Jake. I was similar okay. where he played too with like with, so with this is, So this is something that's less playable in theory than whatever he had in 2019. Because it's yes. like that's my biggest question is <clears throat> if we know that he's already played with a knee injury, I'm not a do- I'm, I mean I'm certainly not a doctor. So like <laughs> if he's not even running in practice, 
is that because they're just saving it and he'll just be like he was in 2019 where he's still able to run, but it's just limited? Or is it something like, you know, like with Curry or something where you literally just have to sit for eight weeks or whatever it is and then get back to the court? I have no idea because I feel like, you know, the Sixers aren't going to tell the truth because why would anybody tell the truth? Mm -hmm. And even if they think that he's good to go, what is it going to be like the first time he tries to guard in space and he has to go laterally? Like maybe he can't hold up even if they think that he can play in game one. So I don't know. I think maybe you sit him tomorrow, you try to get the split, and then you get a nice three days off before game three. Yeah, do, Greeny, and actually Ben and Jake, I'm interested to hear your guys' thoughts as well. Do we think, you kind of touched on it, is this gamesmanship from Doc Rivers? I mean, is like Joel Embiid going to come down the tunnel in game one and be fully healthy? Is that even legal? <laughs> Can you do <laughs> that? Can you lie about injuries? I mean, do you do you have any fear at all that this might be the Sixers kind of playing mind games? Well, dude, this is my thing. I don't trust Doc at all. And I think he has plausible deniability because he's just like, he just says stuff, I feel like. So he's not saying Kind of, it kind of leaves the door open a little bit. It's like if I was a betting man, he's doubtful, but but we'll see how we go. Um, you know, we're hopeful that he's playing. Like it's all, it's like it sounds really bad, but at the same time, it could also just be fine. Um, if I was a Sixers fan, I would be freaking, like I would I would be in like DefCon One mode. Like the videos, <laughs> the little videos that came out today of him like walking so slowly around. Like that's okay. See, like. Depending on which little, but see this walking from side to side, you're you're getting a tiny snippet of what's actually happening. But like, he's he's flexing the knee. Um, yeah. All he's doing is walking across and taking like 15 foot jump shots. That's all we've seen him do so far, or just throw passes to James Harden. And like, guarding the Celtics is really hard. And for the for the Sixers to realistically have a chance of winning this series, you've got to have what, at least 90% of Embiid, you obviously don't want to look past the sixes at all, but it's like if Embiid isn't at, you know, if he, he's out for game one, he's limited. And then also, you know, I'm thinking if, you know, how do you maintain your fitness and your game shape when you're out like this? Is it even possible? I'm like, is it, is, are there like upper body only like swimming pools or like ski machines? To like keep your like heart rate going because one of the biggest issues I think with the Sixers and one of the big advantages the Celtics have is just you want to run, run, run against the Sixers. Like if this series gets to six and seven, I think the advantage swings more and more to the favor of the Celtics because I don't trust Embiid and Harden to hold up. And if this is the shape that he's entering the series at, even if he's able to go game two and he does look like pretty good, like how long does that last? Uh, right. Uh, I and I just think if you're if you're not in shape, you run a risk of hurting yourself yeah. more or something else. So that's why I would think it would be maybe in their best interest to have him sit tomorrow, or maybe he starts. But if it, you can tell right away if he has it or not, and then you just sit him out until game two. Yeah, certainly within our best interest for him to sit 
Uh, but I think it's safe to say, regardless of whether or not he's going to play, if he does play, he's going to be severely limited. I think from what we've seen, <laughs> from all the reporting, from that video clip we ran on YouTube a second ago, it's gone beyond, I think, what be, could be considered gamesmanship. I think there's clearly an issue there. And whether or not he plays, the, the Sixers going forward are at a massive disadvantage. I personally, I would rest him. It seems like, again, not a doctor. <laughs> Although I feel like, like regardless of whether we care to admit it or not, like we're all playing doctor today as Celtics well, fans, trying to well, diagnose yeah. what's going on here. Okay. You'd think well, that I they'd want to rest him yeah. and let him to let him recover, yeah. right? But at the same time, like they're they're nothing without him, so they kind of have to play him, even if he's only at sixty percent. I was I was just gonna say it kind of feels weird that we're getting as much information and these videos as we are. Like saw someone say that today, and then I'm like, do they actually know that it's? like really bad and they're giving us all this information so that people keep their jobs. It's like docs. Hey man, it's, he did, he can't even practice, yeah. but, and then, yeah. and then they lose and he doesn't play at all. Basically if he does, he's, you know, a, a shell of himself, then no one's in trouble. Everybody keeps their job because here we go again. And it falls on Embiid. That was my other little theory I had as well. Like that's why they're leaking this much stuff. Cause it's weird that they're, we're getting this much info. Like yeah. with Jalen's hand, we got like nothing really. Anyway, I wanted to I wanted to ask you, Greeny, like, how do you feel about the injury? Like, let me let me try and phrase it correctly because, like, obviously, obviously you hate it it. because, like, like, just to just to clarify, like, you know, the general consensus online is like, oh, we hate injuries. We wouldn't wish injuries on anyone, and of course we don't. We would never wish injuries on anybody. But now that he is injured and we want the Celtics to win the title so badly, is there any sense of like relief? Like, yes, this is good because it just makes what we need to happen in our lives, the Celtics winning the title, that much more likely? Um, maybe for some, but as we talked last, you know, last podcast, I'm a big karma guy. So I, I am not, I am someone who understands that nobody was, you know, crying when Rob got hurt or crying the year that Jalen had his thumb injury and missed the playoffs. Nobody was feeling bad for the Celtics. And, you know, I look at it as when you get to this time of year, like I want to see the best of the players play, but you can't deny that if things fall the way that they're lining up to Giannis is out, you know, and beat shaky, it's certainly a much different quality path than what we just experienced last year. But you know what? Like last year we had it hard. If this year we get it easy, like, the Celtics still need to execute. Mm-hmm. It's not like their execution becomes easier based on what happens around them. It's they still need to do and show up the way that we know that they can play. And if they do, they'll win the whole thing. But like, I just, as a basketball fan, I just want to see the best players on every team go up against each other. Yeah. And, and Eric you guys Weiss- feel differently? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I, I'm a coward. I, I, I hope he sits the whole series and I hope we win in four and it's very easy. Uh, but Eric Weiss in the chat, Jake, or we brought it up quickly um, earlier, but he says, you know, Joel Embiid being out is the biggest risk to Boston focusing effectively and focus and playing down to teams has been a problem with this team. I really sense this core has been together. Um, so is there some like Ewing theory, the Celtics don't show up and it's like, Oh, two going back to Philly. And then Embiid comes out for game three. Is anybody afraid of that? Am I just insane to be scared of the Sixers without Embiid? I also think it's maybe a little play Now, every time the Celtics lose isn't because they like didn't take the other team seriously. I think that's oftentimes a crutch. Like the Celtics, (laughs) when they lost game three, to the Hawks when they were shooting 70% on contested jumpers, 
that wasn't because they didn't take them seriously, right? When they lost game five, it was a lack of execution down the stretch. It wasn't like they got, they didn't show up that game and got completely blown out. When they play good teams like the Sixers or the Bucks or teams that they deem worthy of their own level of contention, you don't really see a lot of focus issues. But if the Celtics lose because they give up a ton of offensive rebounds and a ton of threes and things like that, you know, I don't think that that suddenly means they don't take the Sixers seriously. They just didn't execute. Yeah, I I would be surprised. But at the same time, like, you know, I thought the Warriors looked past the Kings in game six. Like, you can be mental. And this this is where Doc thrives. Like, it's not necessarily... Maybe the Celtics looking past them, but people underrating what te- like these teams can do just because Embiid w- is out. Like Joe Missoula today in the press conference was asked, "What's the difference between the Sixers um, with and without Embiid?" And he said, "The role that everybody else is, is more aggressive. They they yep. feel more empowered. Like they 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 were twelve and five this season without Embiid, which is a really good record." And I went back and had a look at like which games and they beat the Kings, a healthy Kings. They beat the KD Kyrie Nets. They beat the Heat. They were fully healthy. They had a two-point loss to the fully healthy Knicks. Like this Sixers team can still be, can still win games. And like with the three-point variance that uh, Granny's talking about, if we're not locked in on the three-point line, anything can happen. I will say on the karma thing though, look, I'm only, I'm almost 30. I've seen one title and I was like 14 or 15. There's been a lot of bad luck in the past. Like, Oh, you want to know Gordon Hayward, man? Like, yeah, I mean, I mean listen, yeah. we earned it. We have yeah. earned it. <laughs> like, so, there's, yeah. you know, obviously, Len Bias, Reggie Lewis, we had two people die, which is <laughs> fucked up to begin with. Yes. And then, like, mm-hmm. you know, you got injury stuff, KG's knee. Hayward was injured yeah. for his whole contract and then left for nothing. Traded for Kyrie. He was injured for half his contract and left for nothing. Um, Kemba's knee turned to dust after OG and Isaiah's hip. Isaiah's hip. Like, Isaiah's you said the Jalen wrist thing. Like the list goes like pretty significant bad luck um, over the past five plus years going all the way back, you know. So as you said, we'll take it, but, you know, we've gone through some shit. (laughs) And I also think it's funny, you know, people talk about they don't want Celtics series to go long because of fatigue. I don't want them to play more games than they have to just for the injury risk. Mm -hmm. Like, (laughs) like all it takes you saw with Jimmy Butler today all it takes is one drive and one bang bang play where you land wrong and now your entire season could be different so please just you know I can't expect them to sweep but you know if you're up 10 points with five to four to go those are the ones you have to win yeah so I'll ask this and Spoonie we'll we'll start with you just getting into the nuts and bolts of the series here a little bit say Embiid is out for the first one to three games what does the strategy look like? What's the game plan look like against an Embiidless 76ers? Yeah, and Greeny hit the nail on the head that the Sixers actually, I think, led the league in three-point field goal percentage, and they get most of their spot-up opportunities off of either Harden, Embiid pick and rolls, or just giving it to Embiid on that um, high post area where you just have to bring a double because he's so unstoppable. And then he's been a better passer, and that gets the defense in rotation, and all of a sudden the drive and kick game is going. So. I, I'm surprised they're 12 and five without Embiid because I do not perceive a lot, the Celtics having a lot of issues with this um, Sixers team without Embiid just because Harden has been awful. He was terrible in isolation 
um, against the Nets, and they don't really have like a pick and roll guy he can play with. Um, I mean, I don't really trust B-Ball Paul to be that guy. I guess you can like kind of pick and pop with Tucker, but we're just going to ignore him and dare him to make, you know, six, seven threes. So I, I think defensively, we will guard straight up and you'll probably see a lot more switching. Mm-hmm. Um, than you would if Embiid's out there and you want to make sure you have a big body on him at all times. So, um, And then offensively, Embiid's a great rim protector and they just don't have one when he's not on the floor. So I, I expect to see the offensive approach look a lot like the Hawks where it's inside out, um, you know, get to the rim, finish, get fouled, things like that, and, and less three-point heavy than it has been this whole season. Yeah, in game four against the Nets, the Sixers went to like a switch everything approach because they don't really have that anchor back there, which I think is good in the sense that makes them potentially easier to attack Maxi and Harden. But at the same time, I think it can potentially entice the Celtics into some of those bad habits. Um, when teams are switching everything, it's like, okay, then, it's, then it t- turns into, it can turn into Ooh. ISO ball. Kind of what we spoke about with the the Hawks series. It's yeah, you can isolate on Trey or Dejounte, but you just want to use that as a way to get the offense going and to create the initial advantage. Um, I would be mostly worried about the offensive rebounding of this non-Embiid lineup. And Spoonie did a great piece about the margins that the Celtics lost on Celtics blog from the last round. But um, looking at offensive rebounding, and before the series, we were like not worried about offensive rebounding. We have Rob who didn't. Quite execute. Oh, <laughs> Green Elix. Oh, dude, it was terrible. It was bad. <laughs> Disgusted. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like PJ. Yeah. You got Paul Reed, you got PJ Tucker and Paul Reed are just two high energy, you know, they're the type of that's why I think we're probably not gonna see a lot of double big without Embiid, because you're probably gonna want a quicker, more of like a Grant or a Blake, because the crashing from the weak side corner with, you know, PJ Tucker, you know, Paul Reed is just a, a high energy guy. And I just feel like, you know, the Celtics right now don't show a lot of energy on the defensive glass. They just don't. And with Capella and Akongwu, it's different. They're more bigger, slower, just like massive, you know, great length. With PJ Tucker, it's just all energy and effort. That's what he does. So, mm-hmm. I think it's pro- this is the series that's probably more for Grant than, you know, having a lot of minutes with that double big. But, you know, I think your point to the rim protection is huge because, you know, on the other end, they're not going to be able to score in the paint outside of Tobias Harris post-ups. So if you can eliminate Tobias Harris from that little mid-range pull-up game, that puts even more pressure on Harden, who only shot in the 20s in terms of a percentage around the rim. So you have to you have elite shot blocking to deter that, and you have a way, given your versatility, to remove Tobias Harris's post game. Then you just have to make sure that you don't give up threes. That's the formula. Yeah, and I think on top of that, like they're going to be looking for more, you know, production from James Harden. Obviously, as I guess their second best player, although that's probably arguable. And again, uh, Tyrese Maxey as well. And uh, I saw a stat somewhere that James Harden was finishing at the rim on layups at somewhere like twenty-seven percent, maybe even been less. So yeah, it's twenty-five. So he was like twenty-five at the rim and twenty-three in the paint, non-restricted. Yeah. So, so it's like just get him into the paint and he can't finish. <laughs> 
yeah, make him drive. Eliminate the three, eliminate the step back, make him drive. We've got so much versatility. You factored in Grant there as well, the fact that he could easily switch onto Harden, who's much slower nowadays, and follow him to the rim. Um, make them make them use Harden in that particular way. Take away his three-point shot. And I think um, you know, you're taking away the, the best blow, the best punch that the, the sixes can throw at us. Um, and with Embiid off the court, like there's nothing matchup wise that really terrifies me. Like there's, there's yeah. nothing that the sixes can exploit out of the Celtics where there's so much going the other way, particularly with the Jays, just elite wings. And I feel bad for Tobias Harris going into this series because he's going to have a shitty time trying to guard Tatum <laughs> and Brown is probably the primary defender on both of those guys. I will ask you though, Greeny, because, you know, you and I, we have aligned on this kind of type of fandom in the past of like there's things about these games and these high stakes matchups that like genuinely terrify us as fans. Oh, yeah. despite, oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> so despite Embiid being out, is there anything about this matchup that, that literally terrifies you? Yeah, I would just think it's, it's the threes, it's the offensive rebounds, and it's <coughs> certainly not having the ball control. So now uh, Tyrese Maxey's getting out in transition. Mm. You know, for him... He really struggles in the pick and roll. He's only – he's a guy that thrives off, you know, open looks off and beat doubles. He shot 68% on catch-and-shoot threes in that first round. So, for him, it's like you just have to make him beat you doing things he's not comfortable doing. Him getting out in transition and stepping into open threes is just asking for trouble. And then once – like we saw with the Hawks, once the team starts feeling good – it doesn't matter what happened in the past. So for me, it's just not taking away, you know, what's left on the floor, not making them play to their weaknesses and instead contributing to their strengths, which is just dumb basketball. Yeah. <laughs> it's tricky. Like I thought I, the game plan for the the Hawks, I thought was, was good. They, they just got loose, you know, Trey young Ooh. was a mess in games one and two. And he's that good of an offensive player that he was able to make the Celtics pay in that in-between range. And so I wonder that, like, even with Embiid in, do you, do you just try and use it? I, I'm just calling it like the Steph Curry game plan because that's kind of the was similar approach to what we did with Trayon. You're going over the screens. You're making him make mm-hmm. all those floaters. For Trayon, for, for, the, for the Hawks to steal the two games, like, Trey Young was had an unreal, unreal game yeah. five. Like he hit that low, like he was an absurd, absurd game. I would, I would stick with, with that and, make Harden be Trey now. Because I think if you're going down, I we talk about the two-point percentage, Harden, Trey's a, a maestro in that little paint area, both finishing at the mm-hmm. rim and um, and with the floaters. That is not Harden's game. Um, I mean, he was, he was out in Vegas this week getting getting work on that. On that, that, could be a, that could be like, he might be getting his superpowers. The like Rugger effect. Club, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. you got to remember, that's a negative for like 95% of humans, <laughs> but James Harden. So, I'm a, <laughs> I know I know Michael Jordan was able to pull that off. I haven't seen James Harden pull it off in the playoffs using this current um, preparation strategy yeah. just yet. I just imagine yeah. like the, the Boston sports talk radio of Tatum was like in Vegas in between series, but like, you don't want that from I mean, your second best player. They get on him for spending time with his son. So yeah. I know it's, it's great. Great. You know, if he was at the club. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I think the key, the key to, to this series for me is wearing Harden down. You, you, you yeah. want to make him do as much as possible. I kind of – the Celtics have played Maxi really well in the – like he's averaging like under 10 points for the past you know, few games. 
I, I still think he has the capability to kind of explode. Like I, he can go for a 35, 40. Like he has the ability to knock down eight, 10 threes. If those turnovers start going, getting him out in transition. I don't know if Harden has that in him still. I think if you get up on the step back threes, that's the only time in that series that he was like really effective was in game was it game one or two. Hit like five from seven from three. Outside of that, it was pretty pedestrian. You try and turn him into a scorer inside the arc and and make sure you don't foul him. That was where I think my game plan be with or without Embiid. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see just because in the non-Embiid lineups, that's always been the Sixers' Achilles heel is how do they solve that problem? Well, now if he's not going to play and his replacement is now starting, who are you like? Now it's even more important that the Brogdon second unit lineups get that separation because, you know, that's where this series is going to be ultimately decided is how much can you get that separation after that first year? Yeah. Uh, one thing that's important to to keep in mind, <laughs> I think, is that the the Sixers played the Nets in the first round who were a sub-500 team after the, the KD <laughs> and Kyrie trade. So as far as gleaning anything that might be dangerous about the Sixers from that series, it's, it's really difficult because the, the Nets are just such a subpar team, arguably the worst team that made it into the playoffs, including the play-in teams this year. But, you know, Maxi did have some good moments in that series. I'd love to see the Celtics force Doc to question whether or not Maxi can be on the court because, you know, from the Sixers' perspective defensively, like we just have throw much, so much that we can throw at him uh, yeah. and, and attack him and, and put him into tough defensive positions and, and force Doc to question whether or not he should be out on the court, which as far as how the Sixers look on the other end is obviously hugely impactful. If we can put that into question, if we can p- potentially play Maxi off the court, then we're just it's just advantage Celtics all the way. Yeah. Spoonie, you've been a little quiet there, but I know you've got a lot of thoughts. You've written some good stuff on Celtics blog. <laughs> what else are you thinking about this matchup before we move on? Um, yeah, so... I think they'll with if there is no Embiid, I think they're definitely going to try to get out and transition a lot more because Embiid, that's just not his game. He's just too plotting, and they had like the th- they've I think are running the third lowest transition frequency in the playoffs. Um, so we'll see. They shot they were really hot from three against Brooklyn too. Like some of those games were close. I mean, it's I, I if I was a Sixers fan, I'd be a little worried about how close some of those games were. And yeah, Jake, I think it was game one. Harden hit like four straight threes at the end of the first half to kind of pull the Sixers out from having a pretty sizable first half deficit. So I, I just think you got to get to his step back. Um, and yeah, he's been tragic on isolations in the playoffs. He's averaging 0.67 points per possession on isolation possessions. And I just don't see where else they generate offense because our personnel's too good for Maxi. Like he's just not going to be able to create consistently, um, especially in isolation. And again, they don't really have a pick and roll threat or anything. So they're just, they're obviously, a, a, I think a much worse playoff team without MB. And that probably goes, that's probably the dumbest thing that's been said I mean, on this podcast <laughs> in quite some time, it's like very obvious, but um, you know, I, I, I just I I trying to temper my expectations for how the Celtics will play without Embiid out there because I really think it could be blowouts when, if he's not playing. Yeah, yeah, it the just Celtics puts more of a, of a of a pressure point on the D'Anthony Mountains, the George Niangs, right? Because this is going to be the South, or the Sixers' dilemma. If they need shooting, well, their best shooters can't defend. 
Right. So it's like you can't have George Dang out there because Tatum is going to eat him for lunch. You need DeAnthony Melton to shoot in the 40% if Maxi can't guard. So <laughs> those two guys, that's it. Jane McDaniels and, and DeAnthony Melton, they're going to have to overachieve if the Sixers are going to be able to generate offense because they're their best perimeter defenders. And just like we saw against the Hawks, if you don't have three, four great perimeter defenders on the floor at all times, the Celtics are just going to be aggressive and take it into the paint. Yeah, I think – so the Sixers were last in pace in the first round, which obviously they didn't, don't have Embiid, didn't have Embiid for part of it. But, like, that's what they want to do. And the Celtics were fifth in pace, which is, like, fine. I thought they played – I think if you, I wonder if you take out the second half of game one and the last five minutes of game five where they shoot up. Because I think that game mm-hmm. one – they, they, it was the perfect, perfect pace. They were flying. And at times in the Hawks series, they were flying. Everybody, I feel like, knows that the key with this Celtics team is the pace. Like, mm-hmm. when, they, when, they, when they slowed down in game five, it was just so obvious. Um, they have to play fast. And I think it becomes even way, way more important to play fast, not just because for them, but you're taking advantage of the weaknesses of the opponent with again, with or without MB, they need to be playing fast because you need to be wearing hard and down. Um, Granny, is there is there a key that you're looking for? Um, like, if you had to pick like one thing, is there something that stands out? Um, offensively, probably just be paint touches. I just think threes are great. I'm a much of a proponent of Missoula ball, as you will find on this planet. But I want them generated via paint touches. I want. Mm-hmm guys to be smart and under control and attack and make the defense collapse because if Embiid's not out there and they're going to be so focused on your rim protection, any sort of dribble penetration into the paint is going to generate you whatever look you want from three. So that is what I'm hoping to see. They were great with that during the clutch in the end of game six. As soon as, because you got to imagine Doc is eventually going to double Tatum at some point. So I want to see the same type of decision-making of everyone just taking a breath, realizing that you can, you know, take your time, make the read, make the right play. But everything about this series, the the ball needs to touch the paint more often than it doesn't, and they should be fine. What about, like, now that we've talked about an embeedless Sixers for 33 minutes and 15 seconds, he's probably going to play game one, right? And just be like 110% healthy. So we're going to just talk about this, but let's give a couple of minutes, a tight two, if you will, to if Embiid plays... Greeny, like, what, what's the game plan there? Like, I think most Celtics fans who watch most uh, matchups against the Sixers know what it looks like to defend Embiid well. Um, do you anticipate any difference to that? Like, sending late doubles, sending doubles from awkward directions and just trying to discombobulate Embiid? Do you think there's going to be any other approach in this season if he does play? Yeah, I mean, I think they'll certainly try, you know, Horford one-on-one, Grant one-on-one without doubles. You just... The biggest thing is he sees it so often, you just can't become predictable in when you double and how you double. So, you know, I think you're a little naive if you think that, you know, the Celtics defense can go a whole series or a whole game without doubling them. But it's, you have to remember, he is getting better at passing out of those doubles, especially to Maxi, who thrives off that. So, you know, I think the big part of it for any time you play the Sixers or Embiid, Don't get caught up in the BS. Don't let his flopping or foul baiting. You have to stay mentally focused because we've seen 
smart, get hot at times. When he doesn't get a call on one end, the Sixers get it on the other. It takes the Celtics out of their flow and out of their just like their mental focus. So, you know, understand that, especially if he's hampered, I imagine they're going to give him a, maybe a little bit more friendly of a whistle to sort of compensate for that. So send delayed doubles, send it from the weak side, just, you know, be attentive. But then when things don't go your way, have that level mindset and don't buy into the bullshit. Look, I I would never advocate for sweeping the leg, so to speak. But you, you saw in the in the Nets matchup, like there was a clear emphasis on like being physical with Embiid. I think if he is playing, and this is, it would have even been without an injury, I think you have to just make him work every possession on offense, make him cover one pick and roll and get it out. You've got to make him work. And then now that he is, you know, potentially hampered, I would be leaning toward, like, you're right, Greeny. You, you have to just chaos, mix it up. Um, anytime he dribbles the ball, you send like a, a half double. Like you, the Nets were very predictable, predictable with their doubles, it felt like, for the majority of the series. I think the Celtics are better than any other team because I think they've had the most reps um, with the mm-hmm. same personnel, like, getting to Embiid, but he has gotten so much better at reading it and predicting it and passing out of it. You've got to mix up the coverages. But yeah, I, I feel more comfortable with the game plan of letting him go off or, you know, making him, making him do as much as possible. Yeah. Like if he, I don't know if like, can he go for 50, you know, in this, in this current, current shape, like I would be, you know, Brad Stevens said in that, um, the LeBron Tatum rookie year series, we tried to, wear him down for an entire series and Hoffa was like game six, game seven. He just went to another level again. Yeah. Don't think Embiid has that in him no. with or without the injury. <laughs> so like for me, every game you win in this series is like feels bigger to me. Cause I think the longer you, the longer this series stretches out game six, game seven, the athleticism and the youth and the depth of the Celtics will shine through. So for like, Obviously, every game is huge, but specifically this series. Like every win means the Sixers need to win, have to play two more games. You go up one, they got to win two more. Like every win is huge because it gets closer and closer to wearing down Embiid and Harden. Yeah, I wonder how much the Celtics be as physical as Brooklyn was, right? That was, was, I think, it was almost surprising how much they didn't fall for the the normal foul baiting antics. I don't know if that is going to make it, you know, I don't know if that's just how it's going to be for an entire playoff run. If they do let the Celtics be as physical as Brooklyn, I think that helps you tremendously. Yeah, I haven't heard it talked about much, but Embiid was not particularly good against Brooklyn. He shot under 50% from the floor. Um, I wonder how much Rob will see if Embiid's healthy um, and mostly on the offensive end, like you can really attack Embiid if you have, you know, play five out. Like he does not yeah. want to get out to the perimeter. He does not want to defend on the perimeter and it can wear him down too, um, which just goes back to, yeah, wear him down, play fast, do all the things we've done against Embiid basically his entire career and be physical. And eventually, you know, I, I, I just don't think he's going to be able to show up for intense well, yeah. game six and seven. Yeah. Well, on the rub thing, on offensively, throw some high loves. Yeah, let's yeah. see if Embiid can get up there. Yeah, seriously, like Rob, Rob can get up there, and Embiid's gonna yep. have to launch and land. So, um, granted, that is imagined Embiid landing, which is falling around Rob, 
which is maybe not cut, cut, cut that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Take it back. <laughs> we're live. Shaq, we're live. <laughs> uh, so, hey, Greedy, real quick, um, back to the Hawks series very briefly. Uh, Jake and Ben went live right after the game. It was like mm-hmm. 1 a.m. in uh, Eastern time zone. So I was not present, but they yeah. went on record for their Celtics MVP mm-hmm. for round one. I don't Who even remember you- this. No. Yeah, you guys did. Yeah. You picked Jalen Brown. Um, so. I was also a few drinks in. I don't really remember yeah. much of that podcast. <laughs> the game or the series? <laughs> series, the series. You, wow. I, you guys went with Jalen Brown. Greeny, who is your MVP of round one? Um, I'd probably say Jalen. I mean, he was 50% from the floor, 50% from three. Every time they needed someone to show up, he was there. Um, I'm trying to think. I, in my it's head, I, was, I assumed I said Marcus. Because I, I, I think did because I think this was the best playoff series of Marcus Smart's career. He was awesome. Wow. Or no. You may but have Jake. I just think, <laughs> I think the shots that Jalen made down the stretch, I just mm. I gotta go with him. Yeah. He was he was <laughs> awesome. And I feel like we can we can be free of any hand concerns with how well he played, especially. Oh, yeah. 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 I didn't I'd say after game like, I don't know, game two, I didn't even think I didn't even consider that to be – I mean, his turnovers were, you know, no different than when he didn't have a cut on his hand, and he shot 50% from three, so. That's what made yeah. it hard about the hand thing. It was like, is this Jalen just being Jalen, or is this a hand <laughs> yeah. thing? Because they look yeah. very similar. Yeah, and I mean, I think part of it's probably mental, right? So now that he's gone through a playoff series and he's, you know, it's it's had another, what, two weeks more to, to heal. He had – you know, I don't even think it's – you know, a 10% issue at this mm-hmm. point. Now, we should wrap up on and around the room regarding and around the league. Greeny, have you come to terms, come to grips with all that the Bucks have actually been eliminated? And like, how is that helping you just be calm in your day-to-day well, life? I was trying to be on my best behavior until something <laughs> I, I mean, that was a, a situation I did not need to set myself up for, but <laughs> it's just great. I mean, it's just the beauty of the playoffs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's just great. It's like, you know, they don't have the excuse of no Middleton. There was no five games in seven days. You know, there, Giannis was on the floor for, you know, three of the games or whatever, or two and a half of the games. They just got outplayed. It was a good old-fashioned ass-kicking every single night. And I think, you know, it just goes to show you, for the Celtics' perspective, Nothing is guaranteed, and it doesn't matter what you do on paper. It doesn't matter what you did in the regular season. It matters what you can do in those 48 minutes. So, you know, part of me is going to, you know, relish in the Bucks underachievement. But if the Celtics don't win the title or make the finals, like, what good is it? It's just a wasted opportunity. Yeah, the pressure almost goes up a little bit. You know, in a sense. Well, I think it's like no matter how badly we fail, like we won't have failed as hard as the Bucks did. And that actually, to me, (laughs) takes the pressure off a little bit. That's true. People will ignore this and hammer the Celtics, though. You know that. (laughs) No one will be talking about the Bucks if we get knocked out in the second round, especially by. No, I mean, you talked, like you said earlier, the path. It's like there is no excuse for Mm -hmm. them to not, if they just play to their potential and play the normal style that we've watched for a hundred something games, like, you know, there's no Giannis. It's unfortunate that Steph Curry just won't die. But, you know, who knows if they make it out of the West? Um, you know, the the Cavs are out. So, you know, they're a team that theoretically could have given you trouble. So, you know, they just they have to do it this year, you know, because it's, it's never going to get easier than it is right now. 
Um, all right, so we've got <laughs> Jimmy Buckets versus the Knicks. Who, Unreal. who are you? I'm sorry, he go up 1-0 today. And it's been yeah. everybody, firstly, I'm sure you've been on this, but the Celtics deserve, and I've said it a few times now, deserve extra credit for that Game 7 series against the Heat because that was a better Heat team and the Heat just, they keep coming. Um, and it's been funny. I've been reading like Nick's comments and, and you know, talking about the, the Heat rotation being like, Gabe Vincent, Max Strews, you just never understand until yeah. you go through it that Gabe Vincent is actually like Steph Curry 2.0 and yeah. Max Strews is like... Ray Allen, um, he go up. He he go up one zero. Who will you who will you be rooting for in that series? Um, still probably Miami. I just think they're. I think the Knicks are in theory a better matchup for you. Um, they just shot the ball terribly today. I mean that that can happen on any given night. That's why you play seven and not just one. Um, I know Jimmy Butler is <laughs> on this just like absolutely incredible run and that he would be equally as good in a Celtics series. I have no doubt. I just think the, the Celtics are a better matchup against Miami than they would be, you know, against the Knicks. Yeah. We're worried about uh, Atlanta and B-ball Paul's offensive rebounding, dude, Mitchell Robinson. We might not get a defensive rebound right. against like, the Knicks. You know, like, I'm, I'm not saying I want to play in Miami because I think we will shut down Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler's going to have 35. Yeah. Like, let's make that clear. I just think <laughs> in, in totality, like, you know, I feel great about attacking Kevin Love in space. I feel great about Jalen Brown versus Caleb Williams. I feel great about Malcolm Brogdon against, you know, Gabe Vincent and Kyle Lowry defensively, you know, it's, it's the Spolstra aspect is concerning because he just seems to find a way, but I just think the Knicks have more length. They have, you know, better, you know, dribble drive guys. They just have more ways to beat you than I think Miami does. If you, and now we don't know what, what he's going to look like coming off his ankle injury. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, the tough one to decide between is Golden State. Well, that's and the next question. Yeah. Well, next that's not a run sheet. Yeah. You read our minds. I, I, for, me, for me, yeah, it's like heat is like the devil you know. I know we can beat them. I don't want to mm-hmm. throw in the monkey wrench of like this. The Knicks have kind of owned us, honestly, um, yeah. lately. This weird RJ, RJ Barrett, he does crazy shit against the Celtics. Give me, yeah, I'm, I'm the devil you know guy. All right, well, Steph Curry, I was hopeful. I was hopeful. I had, I had Kings to win the Western Conference at like 40 to 1. Um, but Steph Curry just dropped 50 in a game seven. Insane. And it was like the e- you know what? easy. How about this? I found this. I heard, I, I'm not going to take credit for it because I heard it. But Spin Zone, game four of the finals is no longer the Steph Curry game. That's a huge win for me. Because <laughs> now when people talk about, Steph Curry's best playoff game ever. They're not going to say game four of the 2022 NBA finals. So that's a huge win. Um, I just, you know. It's good spin zone. My praying has now gone to the Nuggets or the Suns have to beat the Warriors because under no circumstance will I ever root for a Lakers win. So it's just going to have to come in the Western Conference finals that someone knocks these freaking people out because, you know, I do not hope that it is the Lakers. Loyal to the cause. I love it. Can't, uh, can't, can't do it. So, what about you guys? Sorry. Who will you be going for in Lakers Warriors? 
it's tough. It's impossible. Like, it's let's so just, hard. Let's just say that we talked about it like off air before before Greedy joined. Like the Lakers, I think, are more beatable from a Celtics perspective than the Warriors. So therefore, I'm rooting for. I hate to say it. I wouldn't say I'm rooting for the Lakers. I'm just I'm more comfortable with the Lakers making it through. If that makes any sense, I'm not rooting for the Lakers. Yeah, I like like watching the Heat and the Knicks today. It was one of those series where I was unsure of what I would be feeling until you start watching, and so Ooh. it became very clear very quickly. I was going for the Heat. Um, and I was like, well, oh, I mean, that's, that's what I'm doing this way. Of of the of the other series, do you think either the Suns or the Nuggets have a better chance to beat Golden State? Or the Lakers. Oh, I, I think I think the Nuggets are the by far the better the better team in the Suns. So I, I would I'll be I'll be rooting for the Suns to win somehow because I think they're actually worse. But I don't think that they can actually beat those teams. So I, don't, I guess I, I'm gonna- I think both of them match up terribly with Golden State. Um, the Lakers probably match up the best with Golden State because AD is so good defensively, and they don't have to, like, dude. <clears throat> Curry can torture. He's Jokic, the best player in the man. league. He can what, torture so what are we doing? Jokic. D'Angelo D'Angelo Russell. Like, Dennis Schroeder is our only hope now. Yeah, nobody yeah. matches up with the good with the Warriors. That's why we want him to lose. Yeah. It's like I just need one of these people to knock yeah. out. Like just you four, know. please. So it's like I want to believe in the Suns, but like I'm better than half of their bench players. So it's like <laughs> they're not going to do it, even if they get past the Nuggets. So and I like, just. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it is a little terrifying that your options could be Steph Curry in a rematch or LeBron and mm-hmm. Banner 18 on the line between the two. Like, like I get that having to play the Nuggets might be tough because they're an incredibly talented team. I get Kevin Durant, Booker, they're beasts, but like it's going to be if the Celtics are fortunate enough to make it the finals, it's going to be stressful enough. To add in that it could be against Steph again or oh. freaking LeBron and the Lakers again. Oh. That just, I mean, that's one that you have to win or we're not going to be doing any more podcasts. I'm not gonna- <laughs> <laughs> we're out. <laughs> no Off way. the grid. Turning into a hermit, riding the trains like a hobo for the rest of your yeah. life. Yeah. If, I mean, we, if we lose yeah. to the Lakers in the uh, finals, I'm going to have to go live in a cave somewhere. I yeah, think you just get completely off the grid. Like, All right. I, so yeah. go ahead, Jake. I, I will say though, like watching the, the Warriors game today, the, the non-Steph and Looney Warriors looked pretty gassed. To me, and I think both the Lakers and Warriors could run into a similar issue that the Celtics did last year. In that you you were pushing to get into the playoffs, like you were you were playing playoff games all the way up to the playoffs, and then you play this seven game series with the Kings, which is absurd um, pace wise, and it felt like they were wearing down. And then rest wise, going into like the Lakers had a bit extra rest, but they'll be on the road. It's also crazy that a six seed is going to have home court in round two. Um, but like Adam Silver yeah. is loving life right now. Oh my god! Right? Yeah. <laughs> Any, well, I was saying anyone that does anything content related with the NBA doesn't matter if you're a Celtics podcast or not. This is good for everybody. Like oh, Steph yeah. versus yeah. LeBron. Like this is a rising tide situation. But yeah, we need to, we want get we want seven games. That's probably what I'm rooting for. I guess the more damage they they can do to each other, the better. So a lot of confidence going into the Sixers series is what I'm gauging. The nervous excitement sort of remains uh, the the general consensus there. Not as much confidence going into whoever our Western oh, Conference rival or opponent ends up being if we make it that far. 
That's going to do it for this one. Thank you so much for joining us. We are absolutely firing up our playback live watch party room for game one, kicking things off just before 7.30pm Eastern time. The link is in the description. Greeny, this was awesome as always. Uh, Good luck this series with the nerves and the anxiety and the battling all the sixes. Twitter demons, Uh, thanks again for coming on. This is great. I appreciate it. I'm ready for it. This is it. Now that you know, we don't get we don't get our rematch with, with Bucks Twitter, but it's been a while since we've had a nice little run in with Sixers Twitter. So, you know, you gotta be ready for it. <laughs> oh yeah. We'll be watching those greeny tweets uh, closely. Spoonie, Jake, love your work guys. We'll be back with another pod right after game one. Until then, go Celtics.